Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? All right. Good to see you guys. Wave at me if you've had enough coffee this morning. I need one more, and then I would have hit my, my full altitude of, of flight today uh, in life. So good to be together. We have a team of 20 uh, down in La Paz, Cal- uh, Baja, California, down in Mexico from our church. So uh, thanks, guys. Yeah. Let's give them a cheer. Half... We're excited that they're serving Jesus and, and helping build churches down in Mexico, but we're also jealous because they're eating tacos and uh, we're not. Uh, so we're, we're, we're upset about that. But they're down in our, at our sister church in La Paz helping out there. So uh, if you look on, have you posted any pictures? Bethany, do you know on the uh, Instagram, are they posting pictures? No, maybe not. Privately, okay. Maybe we'll post them in the public group so everybody can see what they're doing, but that's really awesome. I wanted to share another really cool thing we do with missions. Uh, We don't always kind of talk about some of the stuff we do with missions and helping build churches and things, but I wanted to share something really cool. I got some emails uh, this week from what's called the Surge Project. Surge Project is a church planting organization um, where they've partnered with uh, pastors or or emerging pastors in developing countries. And and for about $3,000, they can actually train a pastor and plant a church And so I got five emails this week uh, about five brand new churches in Cuba that we planted as Joy Church through Surge Project. Yeah, really, really cool. And uh, the the emails were in Spanish. And since my Spanish is only able to order tacos and that's as far as it goes, I had to type, put it into Google Translate and uh, the messages came back. Each of the five churches that we helped plant in Cuba through Surge, uh, they're about 25 to 50 people. And they all kind of shared a very similar theme. The pastor said, hey, it's hard. Uh, we, we lack resources, but God is good and we're seeing people come to Jesus and seeing uh, things happen. So really, really cool. So praise God. That's pretty awesome. Really awesome. Guys, we're going to dive right in. We are continuing in our series about the Sermon on the Mount called You've Heard It Said. And uh, how many of you don't, don't just like cheer or raise your hand, you know, because that's what you're supposed to do. But like if it's real, if authentically God has done something in you through this series and through reading the Sermon on the Mount, would you just lift up your hand? Anybody that God has done something, that's awesome. And uh, if, if, you, if you feel like, man, I've been here, I've been listening, but I haven't really heard something, you know, God do something in me through this, I encourage you to keep reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and just listen to what Jesus is saying because he's painting a picture of what it looks like to be part of his kingdom. And it, and it really is transformational. If there's questions that you have as you read through that and you go, what does it mean? And what does this mean for me? please talk to somebody. That's why we're here. We have joy groups, the pastoral team. There's so many incredible, amazing believers that are here that want to work with you and disciple you. And let me just tell you how to open any door you want in life. It's called lunch. Come on, you take somebody to lunch, open a door. Come on, anybody with wisdom know what I'm talking about? So if you're like, I need somebody to teach me how to be a believer. I need somebody to help me grow. Just like get that $7.99 and go to Carl's Jr. and take somebody and be like, will you go to lunch with me? And then you can ask them any question you want. Uh, For me, you got to upgrade. It's like, we can't do Carl's Jr. I'm trying to quit that kind of thing. We need to go to like Bill and Tim's barbecue, okay? But then then I'll answer any questions. Uh, I give worse answers if it's fast food. If it's a nicer restaurant, they're better. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Joking. You guys aren't laughing. It's okay. That's all right. It's all good. So we're moving through this series, the Sermon on the Mount. Last week I started a two-part sermon called The Real Thing. How many of you know there's a difference between the real thing and fake, right? The genuine article. We had some pictures last week. We're going to show some more today of some off-brand products. 
Uh, go ahead and show the first one. Sunbucks coffee. <laughs> Not quite, right? Uh, their coffee is actually better than Starbucks, in case anyone's wondering. Uh, next, Nintendo Poly Station. Some, <laughs> some of you that play video games know how wrong that is. Others are like, what's wrong with that? This is like what your, that aunt that always shopped at the Dollar Tree for Christmas, this is what she got you for Christmas, was the Nintendo Poly Station. Uh, next, Heike. I like this one because this is kind of like what you're supposed to do with the shoe. You know what I mean? Hike, right? Now, I, 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 no, go, go back. Sorry, Rachel. Go back one. Yeah, uh, on these ones. I want to make a comment. So Bethany and I, we actually moved up in 2013 from Medford. And uh, yeah, so we're not native Eugenians, Springfieldians. We're Medfordites. You know, we're uh, from S Southern Oregon. And we noticed this phenomena here. And I don't know if anybody that's transplanted into the area notices about Eugenians, but we came here and we noticed people would wear these, what are they called? Slides? Is that what they're called? What are the young people calling them? Slides. We'd be wearing these slides with socks. <laughs> and we were like, hmm, I don't know about that. Now, just with boldness, if that's your style, just come on, lift up that hand. Boom. <laughs> see, and are you from here? You, you, okay, see, what is it? I don't know. People that moved in from other places, though, is that not, we didn't do that in Medford, you know? It was like socks with shoes and then sandals with the feet God gave you, right? It was like, that was the mix. Anyways, uh, these reminded me of Eugene. Harry Potter, Obama, Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> I mean, it's a cool brand, I guess, right? Like, but yeah, this is not the real thing. I don't know what they were thinking. They were like, let's just grab everything and like roses. I don't know what the roses are. Um, I think this is actually how a lot of people that they think about though, when your kids tell you about whatever show they're watching, this is how it, how it comes out. You know, this <laughs> hodgepodge. Next one, uh, KFG. <laughs> Kentucky Fried G. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was meditating. I wish I could say I w worked on the sermon more, but I worked on these more this week. And, um, I was looking at this picture and I was noticing Colonel Sanders has like dyed his beard in the, it's almost like, it's almost like Colonel Sanders is going to date again. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was fixing to go out on the dating scene again. So I dyed my beard. So I, I don't know. That's what I was thinking about. <laughs> if a man like that tries to serve you chicken, run away. And then last corks, <laughs> corks. I actually feel like, uh, Corks are, are just as good. And then, yeah, go to the next one. Google toilet paper. There we go. <laughs> yes. So big difference between the real thing, the genuine article, and the fake. And uh, in, in Matthew chapter 6 and the early part of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is describing the real thing. What does a real Jesus follower look like? What does a real disciple look like? And he gives us three do's and three don'ts. And uh, the, last week we talked about the three do's. Jesus says, not if, but when you give. Not, not if, but when you pray. And not when, but if you fast. And he was describing spiritual behaviors that his followers would engage in. Not if they did it, but when they did it and how to do that. To, to live it out authentically and with reality rather than just posturing or posing. And then in this uh, week, we're going to talk about three don'ts that Jesus gives. And these, these are very powerful. I was talking to somebody after the first service and they said, man, 
uh, you're, you're, you're like convicting me. I'm just convicted. I said, which, which one of these convicted you? And he said, all of them, you know? And I was like, I know. Jesus really nails it with our heart um, that we can, we can live out and do religious activity and it can be fake. It can be kind of hypocritical or just for show. Uh, and he warns us about that. And we can live a life that maybe resembles Christian, resembles Jesus, but isn't, isn't authentic. But when you actually get the heart of these, he's painting a picture of what from the inside out a transformed heart is going to do. And so we're going we're gonna to finish off this uh, two-parter today talking about the three don'ts that Jesus gives us. Starting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, we're picking up where we le- left off last week. Uh, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Lord, I pray that today as we look into your word, that God, we would be changed, we'd be transformed, that today we would uh, walk out of here different than when we came in. Lord, we would receive the message that you want to give to us today. Our hearts would be good soil and would produce good fruit. Lord, we just open up our hearts and minds. Uh, God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear what you're speaking to us today. Lord, leading to not just behavioral modification, but a transformed heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus gives us some great investment advice. Now, we've all heard this line before, don't, don't store up uh, treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. And I think most of us have heard that, but let's put some legs to it and describe what it means. Jesus is aware that we can fall into the trap. It's very easy to, to overvalue and overweight our investment in the here and now uh, over and against the investment in eternity. You know, something about our disconnection from God has caused us to Idolatrize, uh, uh, idolize, there we go, uh, the things of this world, wealth and security and safety and uh, being able to, to fly, you know, the, the class of, uh, of cabin on the plane that we want to and have the boat and have the cabin and so on and so forth. And we tend to idolize the things of this world, thinking that they will fulfill us. Jesus says, hold on, if you make your investment here, that's where your heart's going to be. But we don't really want our heart here. We want it in God's kingdom. And And therefore, there's a different thing we need to do with our money. And so he says, hey, let me give you some investment advice. When you store up treasures here on this earth, then they're they're subject to this decay and this thievery and all the things that can happen. They're subject to corrupt politicians. They're subject to wars. Like they rust, they get destroyed. It doesn't last. But when you store up treasures in heaven, it lasts, it sticks. You know, it reminds me of some friends of mine a couple years ago, they were like, dude, uh, crypto, 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 crypto. Anybody have a crypto bro or a crypto sis? You know, and they're just like, it's all crypto. You're like, what is it? What is it? They're like, okay, all you got to understand. And then they go on this whole thing and you understand less. <laughs> right? I saw somebody on Twitter was like, what's an NFT? They're like, an NFT is where you give somebody money and they give you back nothing. <laughs> Some of you are so offended, you know, the crypto bros are like, that's not what it is. You know, it's blockchain. It's the future. Okay, chill out, chill out. I'm kidding. That's just joking. But anyways, some buddies of mine were like, yeah, we're all crypto all day. And they're like, and, I'm, I'm, and they're like our dad put in 10,000 and now his name is Elon Musk, you know, and no, I'm kidding. But 
their dad had actually put in like five or 10 grand uh, back in the day. And now he, he had like a million dollars in crypto. So his, these, uh, these guys that were telling me, my friends, they're like, yeah, we, we've been putting in crypto. And one of them had like $600,000 in crypto, which is a lot, you know. I can't even write 600,000, but he had that much in crypto. And, uh, and, and they're like, tell me, you got to get in. And it was this investment advice. Anybody ever giving you a hot stock tip or investment advice? You know, you need an NFT, you need to buy, you need to buy this stock or whatever. And um, you need to get into crypto. And then like six weeks or maybe even less after they were like telling me all about crypto, this was, I think, 2021, we had a crypto crash. So Bitcoin went from 65,000 down to 30,000 or whatever. It went 40,000. Uh, all these different ones that they were in went down like 50, 60%. So they had this gift of turning, you know, half a million into half a half a million, right? Uh, and, and, it, and it just reminded me of the, the transience and the, the foolishness of over-investing in the here and the now. You know, and you go, well, that's a stupid investment. I would never do that. And then you hear about people. I remember back in 2007, 2008, I was 19 years old, I think in 2006, and I bought a condo. I bought a $170,000 condo with $1,000. Who in their right mind is giving a 19-year-old man a $170,000 loan when he walks in with $1,000? I think I borrowed the $1,000 from my parents. You know what I mean? And they're like, here's, here's a loan. That was then the subprime mortgage crisis of 2008. All these people that had bought all these homes on credit and everything, and some of you are cringing because it was you uh, and me, and you, and you buy these properties. And I remember, one, I remember looking at in 2009 or 2000, um, uh, it was a little bit later. When did we get married, babe? 2007. So this was like a couple years later. I was like, hey, Bethany, our condo is worth 80,000 that we paid 170,000 for. It's worth 80. That's fun, huh? <laughs> so you're like, what I'm learning from this is don't listen to Pastor Jake about money. Okay. And you think it's not just the investment because real estate's a good investment. What is it? It's the fact that on this planet, if you store up treasures here, it is subject to loss, right? Now I, I invest. We own real estate. I love to invest. I own stocks. I'm not telling you not to invest. I'm telling you that Jesus is warning us, if you put your safety net, your commitment here, that it's subject to what happens. And more importantly than that, he tells us what really happens with treasure is that it's an indicator and it's the, the way that we invest our heart. When he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I invest my treasure all here on this earth, my heart is in the kingdoms of this earth. If I put my treasure in heaven, my heart goes there. Early on in our marriage, Bethany and I had had a conversation about money. We said, we want to make sure that what we do with our money indicates to our children that we hadn't had yet, but when we have them, we want it to indicate to our kids where our heart really is. If you want to really declare boldly without words where your heart is, look at your pocketbook and see whose kingdom you've really invested in. So Jesus gives us this great investment advice and he says, you are in control of where you invest your heart. There's an excellent book on, on money called Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. And I want to read you a quote from, from his book. He said, what we do with our money loudly affirms which kingdom we belong to. Whenever we give of our resources to further God's kingdom, we cast a ballot for Christ and against Satan, for heaven and against hell. Whenever we use our resources selfishly and indifferently, we further Satan's goal. 
a really simple test of discipleship and to kind of find out where your heart is, is to go look at your bank statement, to go look at your you know, financial statements, credit card statements, and look at where your treasure is because that's where you're going to find your real heart. That's really what is of value to you, what you really care about. Now, am I telling you to give everything you have away to the church and you know, never invest on this earth? No, like actually the whole Bible gives us principles. There's tons of scriptures about investing and building and go plant a farm and you know, plant crops and harvest and all this kind of stuff. God actually desires you to use money as a tool. But here's the deal that Jesus wants us to catch. Money is a great servant, it's a terrible master. It's a great servant, but it's a terrible master. He goes on, he says, this thing about the eye and the lamp of the body and all this, and I, and I didn't really know what it means, but he says if your eye is healthy, here's what the original Greek word means, and it'll help us to understand this word picture that Jesus is painting. The word for healthy, when he says if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be filled with light, that word literally is without folds. And what it means is you have a clear and undivided focus. Jesus says if your focus is undivided and clear that God is your master, that God is your sovereign and money is a servant to build his kingdom and a servant to further his aims through your life, then you're going to be healthy and full of light. But Jesus warns us there's a temptation to think we can serve both God and money and Jesus says you can't. If you have, if money is your master, if money is sovereign, if money is the most important thing, whether the presence or the absence of money, if that is how you uh, live your life and it's what dictates your steps, then you're going to be unhealthy, filled with darkness. You're going to have a divided focus, but instead we're to have God sitting on the throne of our heart. Now you might be saying here, well, Pastor Jake, I'm not rich, so isn't this only a teaching for people that have lots of money, that they've made money their God? It's actually not the case. You see, a master... Uh, can be your master whether the presence of money is what causes your decisions to be weighted one direction or it's the absence of money that causes your decisions to be weighted. Now Jesus does talk about wealth and how wealth can sometimes keep us from acknowledging our need for God and can insulate us from that, that sort of desperation and how we're supposed to live and poor in spirit before him. But I've seen a lot of poor people who let the absence of money dictate and rule their life just as much as a rich person might let the presence of money Here's another quote from Randy Alcorn. He says, the need for money may be a factor in our decisions, but it is never the factor. God, not money, is sovereign. Money, whether by its presence or absence, must never rule our lives. One of the things that will break you out of serving money as your master is when you say, God, everything I have came from you and it's for you and I stand with open hands. Every blessing that you place in my hands, I won't grab it and take it to myself and let that rule my heart. Instead, what I'll say is, God, everything I have is yours. I'll enjoy the blessings that you place in my hands, but they're also there for the taking, for your purposes, for your plans. As Bethany and I have gone from being busted flat and broke and in debt and dumb with money, I mean, that was our story. We got married at 22 years old and both of us had debt. We had multiple cars. I think we had three cars between us. No kids, three cars, a bunch of debt credit card debt, all kinds of stuff. Couldn't even go out to eat without feeling sick to our stomach. God has prospered us in our life and we're at a very different place financially. And the struggle then and the struggle now remains the same. God, we want to have open hands. Money's not our master. We don't do something because we have it or we don't have it. We say, Jesus, what is your kingdom? What is your will? What do you want us to do? And we'll step out in faith. So if God says, I want to reallocate the resources that I've placed in the subsidiary corporation of Schmelzer Incorporated, for a kingdom purpose, then guess what? The bank accounts are in his hands. Come on, somebody. 
And if God says, I want you to do such and such a thing, and we go, Lord, we don't even have those resources. We don't, we don't say we can't do it because we don't have it. We say, God, if, you, uh, if it's your will, then it's your bill. Come on. You guys, let me tell you, right now, we're sitting in the middle. Right now, this building, we call it a slow speed miracle. A church that's six years old. We just had our sixth year birthday last year or last Sunday. Yeah, it's awesome. We have no business owning this building. We have no business sitting here. We have no business having a 28-foot LED screen. That's crazy. I have friends that have churches that are 10, 15, 20 years old. They're like, yeah, we're just trusting God someday that we'll have a place to call home. And God was like, Joy Church, I want you to have a, the prominent location in the middle of the city. And you know what we said? Sure. <laughs> I remember sitting with you know, Bethany and Pastor Mark and us laughing about the bills and everything. It was just like everything was impossible. But here's what I found with God. If it's God's will, it's God's bill and he will provide. And he does. And he is. And he will. And that's why this is not our final place. And guess what? If God wants us to give this building to another church, we will. And he'll provide something else. Some of you had a heart attack. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) He hasn't said that, but okay. Just cancel you, Satan, in Jesus' name. Jesus goes on. He says, therefore, because of what I just said, because of what I just said about money, because of what I just taught you about money shouldn't be your master, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Jesus, the implied answer is absolutely not. He goes on, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, because of what I just said, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, on top of saying, do not store up for yourselves treasures on heaven, treasures uh, treasures on earth, but instead store up treasures in heaven. He says, because of that, I'm giving you this radical command, do not worry. This is actually very challenging because Jesus does not leave the option to us. He doesn't say, you know, you're going to be worried about some stuff, but I'd encourage you to try not to be worried and just try to have faith in God. He says, don't do it. Do not worry. Did you know you can't be in a state of worry and be in a state of worship at the same time? You can't be in a posture of worry and be in a posture of trust at the same time. You can't be worried about money and worried about your clothes and worried about where the bills are going to get paid and worried about tomorrow and be trusting Jesus to hear his voice and tune in for what's happening right now. There's something radical about a person of faith, a person who's a citizen of God's kingdom, a person who's a Jesus follower, where they basically say, I will not let worry infiltrate my heart, my mind, my spirit in any way about anything. I won't worry about tomorrow. I won't worry about where my needs come from. I'm not going to worry about, it, about anything. And why can Jesus give us this radical command? How is it even possible? It has everything to do with what he just got done saying. Because here's the deal. 
If money is not your master, you don't have to chase it in a worried hurry. You don't dance to that tune anymore. Money is not your God. Money is not your your master. God is your sovereign and he will provide. You serve a different master. You belong to a different kingdom. And we are invited in this kingdom to live in the sweet, sweet freedom of God's provision. As citizens of his kingdom, our needs will be met. A couple weeks ago, we were pulling out of the parking lot after church and my daughter Penny, she's six years old, she says, Dad, how much money do we have? And I thought, that's a dangerous question. She's like, I have a new IPO, I want to invest. No, she, she, she was like, how much money do we have? And I didn't really know what to say. I kind of started to say some things and Bethany answered it so well. Bethany said, we have enough. All of our needs are met. We're good. You know, we have enough. And I tried to say something like, well, some of our money's tied up in investments, and, you know, when the market goes up and da 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 you know. <laughs> Penny, have you ever heard of a covered call? You know, I was just... Uh. So anyways, uh, it was interesting because in that moment, we began to teach our kids in the car. We began to say, hey, uh, number one, mom and dad have plenty of money. We have plenty to take care of everything you need. And, and, and we're very blessed and God has blessed us. And so we have resources and things like that. You can't have any of them. You have to do your homework and grow up and get your own money. But, you know, we... We have plenty to take care of you. And, but what we really were, were, were connecting them with is we said, you know, here's what we believe as Christians. We believe that God will provide, because he said he would, that if we would seek his kingdom, he'd provide for everything we need so we have no fear about money. And they're like, oh, okay. Because here's the question that she was asking. She doesn't probably really care or even know how to process how much our investments are worth and our real estate against our liabilities and so on and so forth. She doesn't really care about the balance sheet. What she was asking was, do I need to worry? Do I need to be worried? She's hearing us talk about inflation. She's hearing us talk about war. She's hearing things on the news or maybe people fretting about where rent's going to come from and so on and so forth. And so her little heart is coming aware that in this world, you can live under the, 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 the cruel... Uh, mastery of money and need to be worried all the time and like the pagans do chase after those things or you can enter into a completely new transaction a new economy the economy of heaven where worry is banished forever because God will provide for your needs now this is absolutely utterly radical because most of you don't even believe this today and I don't you know that our heart we hear these words from Jesus and it's like do not worry and we're like okay I'm going to try not to worry. That's not what he said. He's telling you, you don't even have that as an option because if you're in this economy where God is now sitting on the throne of your life, you can just literally eradicate that from your life. But, but it's only if you stop treating money as your master or you try to flip and switch it, right? Sunday, God's my master and Monday, I'm really concerned about pursuing and chasing after my needs. And so the real question she was asking was, do I need to to be worried? And our answer we were able to give her was no. You don't have to let worry even consume you at all because God provides for us. When Jesus talks earlier in the Sermon on the Mount about Christians being salt and light, that by their very presence, they change the atmosphere. Do you realize that in a world consumed with anxiety, as Christians step into each moment as a calm and unanxious presence, not concerned in the slightest, with where our clothes, our food, our needs will be met, but fully entrusting in, in to God that he will take care of us, that that literally turns the light on in a room. That in a, in a, in a, in a place of anxiety, a Christian shows up and says, actually, I'm, I'm not worried. Uh, it doesn't mean Christians don't work. It doesn't mean we don't 
invest. It doesn't mean we don't plant, plant you know, a farm and harvest the crops. That's not what, it, what, it, what Jesus is even talking about. But our, the posture of our heart, what, what, where we look for security and safety, it's completely different than the world. And it's an, it's an unbelievable testimony. And how do we live this out, this unworried life? We live it out by seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus says, look at the pagans. What do they do? They, they chase after what God knows you need. What if instead of chasing after what God already knows we need, we said, God, I'm going to live in trust. I just trust you to take care of me. So I'm going to say, what is your will for me today? And I'm going to pursue that and do that. And then watch as God shows up to fill in the gaps and, and provides for you and provides for your needs. Jesus says, you don't need to worry about tomorrow. Trust God and let today take care of today. God wants to do something in you today. He wants to speak to you today. He wants to move in your life today. And, and what he does in you today will set up some pretty incredible tomorrows, but we're not to live in worry. And then Jesus moves on to the third do not. Anybody getting something today? You good? Do not worry. The message will end shortly. Okay, <laughs> judging others. Jesus goes on. In Matthew chapter 7, he gives us the third do not. And this is great because this is like probably the most quoted and misquoted, misunderstood passage, one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus gives us this third do not. And again, it's just another picture of what a Christ follower looks like. And he says, do not judge uh, or you will be judged. And in the same way you judge, you will be judged with the measure you use. Now, what Jesus is not doing here, and this is where it's very misunderstood. I would say a great many Christians give up something valuable that comes from their Christian faith and Christian heritage, which is the ability to reason and intuit and use their God-given reason to, to, to see right and wrong and make distinctions and discern between that which is sane and insane, between that which is right and that which is wrong, and actually provide a light in a very dark culture, uh, whatever culture they're ministering to. Many Christians will hear a message like this, and in, and in a false sense of I need to love my neighbor, they overstate uh, or they overmove to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not giving a blanket prohibition against all moral, spiritual, and intellectual judgment. If he were, he would be in disagreement with the rest of the Bible. What we understand about the scripture is that the best interpreter of scripture is scripture. We have to look at the full uh, breadth and depth and uh, uh, scope of what the scripture tells us. And the Bible is full of judgments, judging between right and wrong, judging between light and dark, judging between that which is of God and that which is of this world or of the enemy. And so Jesus is not saying there is no time where we ever determine, you know, discern between right and wrong. What he's speaking to is the heart that we come about it from. He's speaking to how we treat others. And that's why he gives this uh, qualification when he says, whatever measure you use, that's what's going to be used for you. So if you're coming as the hammer of Thor 
to judge someone's behavior, even if they're wrong, and probably even especially if they're wrong, if you come swinging in on the, the hammer and let me you know, crucify your bad behavior, guess what? That's the measure that will be used for you. So have you ever sinned or been wrong or been off on something before? Because I have. And what Jesus is saying is use some grace. As you walk in discernment, as you walk in righteousness, as you actually do make distinctions in a world gone terribly awry, make sure that you carry the heart of Christ, which is how did he treat you when he made a judgment about your behavior? He gave himself for you. He was loving. He was kind. He was merciful. But he didn't erase the lines. This is where I want to I speak into this just a little bit because we live in a culture in which crazy things happen where people even deny basic scientific realities. You know, we had a man win a woman's swimming race like three days ago. Now, you hear that, everybody gets nervous. This isn't even a Christian thing. This is just scientific judgment. This is just discernment. And we live in a, a world gone so terribly wrong. People are so lost and in darkness that things we call up, down, and down, up, and left is right, and right is left, and people are just so broken and lost. And as Christians, we can come with the hammer of Thor and judgment, and what a dumb world, and it's so evil, and it's going to hell in a handbasket, or we can weep and say, Jesus, please, let your kingdom come, and your will be done. But in the process of that, Christians, don't have such an open mind that your brain falls out. And Jesus says, use righteous judgment but remember to deal with your own stuff first. What's probably more important than Christians providing an accurate judgment of the world is for us to provide an accurate judgment of ourselves and get humble before God and say, Lord, please get that plank out of my eye before I try to pull a speck out of someone else's. Jesus doesn't say not to help other people deal with their issues. He just says, remember, I want to show that picture, Rachel. This is what you look like, Buster. I've had people come to correct my flaws and, and I, I couldn't really hear them because the plank hit my face so hard as they turned, you know, <laughs> and I've done that to others. Jesus says, don't just be generous with yourself and stingy with others when it comes to your shortcomings. Isn't it easy to fall into this trap where, we, where we're, we're like, oh, I did the wrong thing, but I really did it for the right reason. We, we give ourselves such a free pass on our motives and people will say like, he did the wrong thing, but or I did the wrong thing, but I have a good heart. And then with others, it's like they do the wrong thing and we see it and we're like, they meant it. They wanted to do it. They liked it. <laughs> and what Jesus is saying is, hey, you have a plank in your eye and you see the speck. The speck is there, but deal with that plank. Let's be generous with others, not stingy with them when we, when we judge their motives. And Jesus puts it in our hands. He says, hey, that measure that you use, if you're a merciful person, like God's very name is merciful. He, God has every right to literally come down heavy on, on us. And yet his response to our sin and our fallenness was to send Jesus and to redeem us and reconcile us. And Jesus tells us, how do you want to be treated when you step out of line? Do you, do you want that, that judgment to come down on you or, or would you prefer someone to actually believe that maybe you made a mistake and that there is hope for you to do better next time? And so again, it's a picture of what a Christ follower is, not someone who doesn't walk with righteousness and see the difference between right and wrong. And in some cases, even declare the difference between right and wrong or in all cases, but to say, I understand that our, my posture needs to be one of mercy and grace and an opportunity for reconciliation and redemption rather than just a blanket, 
I'm, I'm judging you, putting you in a box, and you're done. If you study this passage, the words that Jesus uses when he talks about judgment actually indicate like an eternal judgment. In other words, somebody does something and you eternally put a label on them, that's what you are. And we don't want to be treated that way. And Jesus says, if you don't want to be treated that way, don't, don't apply that to others. We had a girl in our internship uh, many years ago, Bethany and I led a Bible college internship. And uh, man, she just loved to like rip people a new one. And I remember one time we brought her into the office and we're like, hey, um, you're kind of like destroying people. Like, you know how people are walking away from you and there's like puddles of tears? Um, that's sort of a reason it's um, your fault uh, because you're <laughs> just eviscerating them. And her response was, I'm just a person that tells it like it is. And we're like, well, you're telling it like you think it is, but and maybe you're even right, but your spirit is off. Like you're really destroying people. And so we said, for the next few months, we're going to revoke your correction card. You do not have permission to correct anyone other than yourself. And she was like, okay. So then she did good. And I think she grew from that moment. But we revoked her correction card. Um, some of you may have been given that correction card. You, you have your license and you have your, you know, the letter, the letter is on there and you need to like turn it in for a couple months. You hear what I'm saying? It's like, just worry about your own business and let Jesus deal with you. And then from a heart of grace and mercy, then when God opens the door to, to help somebody else. Last but not least, Jesus talks about not uh, throwing our pearls before swine. As he tells us not to, uh, not to be a judgmental, critical type of a person and, and to think about the measure that we want, he also gives us a warning that some people, when you give them a correction, when you speak truth to them, it's like throwing pearls before swine. And not only are you going to see the thing, the beautiful truth or that wisdom, what you gave, be trampled and destroyed, but they'll actually turn and attack you. Sometimes you need to keep your opinions to yourself or even the right things to yourself. I think as Christians, we oftentimes get ourselves in trouble because we speak God's truth into situations where a person ultimately is not ready to receive it. And so we haven't used wisdom and discernment in what we share. And what it ends up becoming is a blot upon the name of Christ or even an attack upon you. And God's beautiful truth can get trampled. And so we have to walk in wisdom in what we share. Now, Jesus is kind of ruthless because when he talks about pigs and he's talking about dogs, he's actually talking about people. He's saying there are people in the world that are so bent towards evil and wrongdoing that like if you share these pearls of wisdom, if you, if you are bringing righteous judgment to them, it's going to come back on you and, and hurt you. And so Christians also need to walk in discernment as we do this. But the bottom line is this. Jesus is commanding us not to be judgmental jerks with a critical spirit. He's telling us not to put people in a box without any mercy or hope of reconciliation. And he's telling us to deal with our own stuff first. And ultimately what we should take away is not a mechanical uh, approach to how we judge things, but rather to say, Jesus, would you create in me the right heart, a heart of mercy, a heart of truth, a heart of righteousness, and, a, and the mind and, and wisdom to, to understand and discern when I judge, when I don't, when I open my mouth, when I don't. Oftentimes the very best thing you can say is nothing. And simply to love people in a way that Christ would call you to. And for all of us, it's to look in the mirror and say, okay, do I maybe need to have my correction card revoked? Because maybe I'm not thinking about that plank in my own eye and I'm more concerned with the speck in other people's eye. And Jesus wants me to look inward and let that judgment go to me before I spread it around. 
And between all of these pictures, the three do's, the three don'ts that Jesus gives us, if you see them all in context, what you have is a picture of a person who is generous, who is walking in truth and righteousness, but not overly judgmental. A person who is in prayer and, and hearing God's voice and speaking in, to God and listening to God. A person who is fasting and giving up the things of this world to get close to God. A person who doesn't store up treasures on this earth and a person who doesn't live consumed with fear and worry, but lives in trust with God. It's a picture of a disciple of Jesus and it's what he invites us into through the Sermon on the Mount. Amen? Amen. Father, we give you this time. I pray, Lord, that these words would go into our heart as good seed and would produce good fruit in our lives. Lord, I pray that we'd hear them, that we would apply them. God, that they would transform us. Jesus, you want to change our behaviors, but not, not as the first point. You want to change our heart and let a renewed and transformed heart produce good fruit. So Lord, I pray that we would let these words sink in, let, let them change us, transform us, and that we'd have a transformed heart. As you say in the word that Anyone that is in Christ is a new creation and the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We want to be that good soil, produce that good fruit that you've called us to. We love you, Lord, and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quick, if you'd bow your head and close your eyes. This morning, I want to give an opportunity for anybody in the room or anybody watching us online, uh, whether live right now or watching on replay later in the week. I want to give you an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus and make a decision to become his follower, to become his disciple. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked uh, the shores of the Lake of Galilee and he spoke to simple fishermen and farmers and tax collectors and Roman centurions. He spoke to everyone and he had a simple message, come and follow me. I want to teach you a new way of life. I want to forgive you of your sins and teach you how to walk with God. Jesus gave his life at the cross. He paid for our sins and he made a way for us to be reconciled with our Heavenly Father. And you can make a decision to become his disciple, to trust in him with your salvation. And if you want to do that right now, we're going to pray a simple prayer and then we'll give you some steps to take after that. So if that's you, would you just pray this prayer with me? And you can pray it out here in the room. You can pray it online or watching on a replay. Let's all pray together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with God. I give you my life and I put my trust in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.